You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I am Carlos Noche, and for today's episode, I'm going solo with our guests. My amazing podcast partner, Lisa Schneer, is traveling today for another client engagement. And for today's episode, we are talking about transforming the way we engage customers, truly thinking of the customer's journey, and how the entire organization collectively engages them and values them. To help us with that topic, we have Giles Giddings, an accomplished sales enablement and strategic executive with 20 years experience building high performance sales teams and selling to enterprise customers. He is also someone that I personally know and have had the pleasure to work with on the global value selling rollout at ServiceNow. Giles is currently the global VP of go-to-market enablement at Mindcast. Giles, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Carlos. Great to be here. All right. So to get us started, here's our warm-up question. What is something that you're passionate about that those that only know you through business might be surprised to know about you? So I think the one thing that people sort of talk to me a lot about and don't actually know is that I'm actually a certified hypnotherapist, but I trained under Tony Robbins many, many years ago. So don't tell many people that, but now many people may know. That's it. I'm never negotiating with you ever again. (laughs) (laughs) And is this something you still practice every now and then? (laughs) No, it's something I haven't done for a long time. But yeah, it was... And it was all spent out from actually wanting to get better at selling. That's actually how I ended up on this course because I wanted to know why could I sell to certain people and not other people. And I went on a training course that I thought was going to be all about selling. And it turned out to be all about self-development and trying to understand yourself so that you can understand better, which was great. And a part of that that was really interesting to me that I went through was the hypnotherapy piece and how you could start to rethink about how you do your own personal strategies and how you think about your, you know, your execution. And so, yeah, I went and studied it and, uh, and got certified in it. Super interested. That is awesome. All right. Tell us a little bit more about your story. How did you get to this great place in your career at this point? And it'll help people understand you a little bit better. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, that was actually one of the defining moments was going on that course and going, okay, sales is my passion. Like understanding people, which, you know, I think is a lot of sales is what I wanted to do. And that took me on a journey actually all around the world. So I've lived in three or four different countries. I've lived in China, I've lived in Japan, I've lived in Thailand, I've lived recently was in Singapore, and then I've moved back to the UK, which I'm originally from. And in that time, I was doing a lot of work around sales and business sales manager, and then a sales leader for Asia. And then I moved into the sales performance space and did some years in there where I was working with big software companies to help them roll out sales methodologies. And then cloud became a big thing. And I happened to find out about ServiceNow and they were looking for someone. And so I uh, managed to get into there, which was super high growth as their enablement uh, sort of main resource in APJ and then took on global roles. And from there, I've actually had the privilege to work with many great leaders across hyper growth companies, both ServiceNow, Snowflake, and now more recently joining Mimecast. That's awesome. Well, you've picked some winners so far. I might just, you know, start putting... uh buying stock into companies that you go work at. 
Because uh, so far you've picked some really good winners. So, Giles, let's talk about this. Transforming the way we engage customers is a big statement. Let's start there. What do you mean by that? So, look, I mean, I think if you've ever had any guests on that talk about this, that we all know that the way that buyers, are, the buyer behavior is changing, right? We're getting less time with our prospects. You know, a Gartner study in 2000, uh, last year, talked about out of the total time that a customer spends in, in an opportunity, in a sales cycle, the rep only gets 5% of that. And so in that scenario, things have to change. Otherwise, people are going to use information that they can get from the net and from other sources as a way of making the decision. You know, it's interesting too, because I also find in today's economy, you get less at-bats. So if you're only getting 5% out of this entire buyer's journey, and you're getting less at chances to meet with different customers, you got to really make them count. Now, it also sounds like this involves a lot more than just the sales organization. Does this also impact the way we market these customers? And if you get them on board, the way we service them long-term, is that right? A hundred percent. And it's not just about it's how do we market them. And so we need to move to digital to think about how we're actually getting exposure across the entire client base. There's also the, the reality of that more people are actually involved in the sales process. So there are more buyer interactions that are needed and we're getting less time to speak to them. So we have to solve for that. And then we've got, like you said, there's the fact that we now need to think about, well, what does our entire organization, how does that engage with a customer? Because prospects and customers, while they don't want to deal with a salesperson, they want to deal with a multitude of people that are experts that can help them through the process, but then they don't want to deal with more people. They only want to deal with one person. So you've got this pull that's happening between what a buyer wants and then what and how organizations are actually structured. You know, it's interesting because I feel, and I hear this from actual customers, since I got the small window of time, hey, Carlos, I got to hurry up and tell them more about us versus taking the time to really understand them and their problems and the implications of it. And I, an example of that, that I, I recently got this from an individual that we trained earlier this year. He goes, Carlos, we had a one-hour meeting. It's a large multinational organization. I wanted to be respectful, but that had a lot of questions. And I took the time to ask those questions early on. And surprisingly, they opened up, they gave us more time, and we got more information than we never, ever would. And the reason I bring this story up, Giles, is because I feel like we got to be bold enough to you know, do our research ahead of time and be of value to them, but ask questions, not just feel like if you got a small window, we got to throw up all over them because they don't have the time to do that as well. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's key. It's an age-old problem, right? That as salespeople, as one myself, you know, I had to sort of retrain myself when I came out of sales to, and to really focus on doing that level of research and, and becoming the kind of trusted advisor. And I think Today, more important than ever is salespeople need to be doing their prep. They need to understand the customer. They need to understand the landscape in which the customer operates in. And they need to be making, maximizing the time they have in those engagements. And to your point, it's about really understanding the customer issues and the customer problems. Like, how do we underpin those things and focusing on, on them? And the, you know, if I look at my role today, I get hit up by a lot of salespeople. Like, and in the companies I've worked for, in the role I have, and there's no shortage of people wanting to try and sell technology, solutions, platforms to me. And 
the ones that make it through the first step are the ones that I know have done their research. They don't need to know everything, but they need to know enough about me and enough about what I'm about my landscape. They're not going to know the issues. They then need to be able to demonstrate their solution quickly and effectively. And I'm talking in less than five minutes where they can say, okay, I've heard a little bit of what you said. This is how where we sit. This is the things that we heard you say you care about. This is the things I think that people like you in similar roles to you care about. This is the value that they can bring. And they basically are asking for, for permission for the next roster to ask to carry on and get a ticket to the dance because they've demonstrated professionalism. They've demonstrated they've done some research and they're not just showing up and throwing up what their solution can do. Fantastic. So a lot of that is their interaction with human-to-human interaction. So thinking back to thinking about the customer and the, some Gartner research, has the process of buying software dramatically changed today? And I just love to get your feedback. For example, many people I talked to today, not many, but I mean, there's a group of people today that talk about, oh, Carlos, it's all about product-led growth. People don't want to engage and have conversations with individuals anymore. They want to just go online, check out your product and hit the button and buy it, which I get, but that is more like a lower level sale or a smaller sale where I'm going to try it and buy it for as an individual versus I'm going to buy this for my entire organization and I'm going to spend hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, to that point, to back it up with the Gartner research I talked about before, 47% of people that they actually interviewed in that survey said that they didn't want to engage as a salesperson in the sales process at all. And that was in enterprise sales. Now, obviously, that's not realistic because we need to engage with people from the the customers as we go through. But what it's done is it's meant that the we've we have to now start thinking of the digital platforms and the digital experience that we're going to give customers as a company and that's not just a sales thing that's everybody we then have to start thinking about you know what does marketing role play what how do we manage the community because people are now going and obviously talking to other people within whether that be linkedin communities or what, wherever it is but they're going and looking at the users that are engaged in this already and so if you're not giving a good user experience in the sales process and beyond, they're going to find out about it and you'll never get to speak to the salesperson. I'm curious, when what was that number again? 40 some odd percent don't want to engage a salesperson? 47%. 47. So this is my guess. And I think that even when you just think about the word salesperson and how an average normal interaction is with them. So for example, I look at some Forrester research and it talked about how executives don't find any value in their interactions with salespeople. So if they think of it, when that question is being asked and they think of that type of experience, of course they don't want to talk to them. But then I think back to what you said earlier, hey, the, the vendors I work with are the ones that did their homework, that know me, that are coming helping me solve a problem, are bringing examples And unfortunately, that's usually not the stereotype of a salesperson. What do you think? No, I I agree. I think that in technology, salespeople are very, they get attracted to the technology, right? And they get attracted and they get into the features. And then we have marketing teams that talk about the features and we have product management. So there's a lot of focus on in competition in terms of being able to talk about what this feature does versus that one. I think to your point, the successful salespeople, the really successful ones I see, consultants. They're more like a doctor. 
They're more like we just recently uh, did some work with one of the big four consulting firms and they send their consultants in. And these guys are fundamentally selling, yeah. right? They're, they're selling big product. They're selling big projects, but these are multi-million dollar projects. But they are coming in and diagnosing the problem and identifying the root cause and then coming with a solution to fix it. And that's how a salesperson needs to think. And it's a set of skills which is becoming increasingly important when you start to think how you engage the customer and not just in sales. Now, I know this one we're talking about sales, but your customer success people need to do it. Your support people need to be able to do it. Even your solution engineers and your um, professional services need to do it as well. Couldn't agree more. I talk about, you know, we're going to have like this cross-functional framework for the way we communicate with folks. And if we are consistent in the way we do it, I looked at some Gong research that talked about organizations that are market leaders are ones that have a consistent experience across the organization. Just same point you just made. So, Giles, I'm assuming there are more tools today than ever, it feels like, although some consolidation has started. Are there any tools that you recommend to really improve this customer engagement? So I think there's the challenge with that is, is there are almost hundreds in the marketplace today. And of all of those tools, they are all moving at a rapid space, rep speed, right? So there are a lot of enablement tools. There are a lot of operational tools. You know, revenue enablement is the new buzzword. And so, and revenue operations, how can we look at that piece of the business and how do we start to be able to provide insight in terms of opportunity management and account management and customer engagement? How can we start to predict where the deals are going to, you know, where we would do it before in a spreadsheet or be through our good old, inspection skills now we're relying on models to be able to do that and all of these players are starting to eat each other's lunch right they're starting to evolve into each other's spaces so knowing what the the roadmaps are for, for the technologies that you're looking at looking sort of three years ahead and starting to try and predict which ones do i want to go with i think is really important and it's an area that i had a lot of success in the last two companies i'm only relatively new into Minecast, but was actually picking some of the right technology to support it. In terms of what do you need, you need a good platform for looking at the front end of the funnel. So from a prospecting perspective and then generation and putting those leads through, there's lots of stuff there. You need a good content management tool. Some There is so much content available to the field today and there's so much noise from, from everywhere. You need to be able to have a system that you can architect right so that you can actually surface the right content for the reps in the right time to increase productivity. And the big one, I think, which bolts onto that these days is anything that can do around conversational intelligence, because that's obviously now feeding in with AI, which you know I'm sure everyone mentions AI on, the, on these calls recently, but it's a thing that it's making the platforms that the sales teams can use. It's going to change the way that they both engage with those tools, the productivity they can get out of them if they do it effectively and the skill set that they're going to need to be a winner in the new world as it's fast approaching. Excellent. Well, and obviously on top of it all, you got your CRM behind it all, I guess. Yes, of course. Well, and that's the thing I think is if you look at most CRMs today and you, you ask most sales organizations, are they happy with the CRM? The answer is no. And then you ask them, well, so why are you buying all these tools? It's like, well, to do things the CRM should do. I think the new sets of tools, especially when you start looking at revenue operations, they actually sit across this and they're really a skin to and to all the data that sits in Salesforce. And then they're actually helping to clean the data and provide some analytics and some predictive insight into 
what you should be doing with that data. But that's why there's, it's, I don't know what the size is in terms of market cap, but there's a very big business there because these guys, you know, they're not, they're not cheap. Yeah, I agree. I'm just always surprised how many of these tools are out there. And then they just start stacking them on top of it. I've seen clients at their SKOs, it looks like a NASCAR slide of all the tools they've thrown the reps. I sometimes wonder, do the reps have any time to sell because they got to use all these tools? And then I jokingly ask, hey, out of those tools, which ones are you really using? <laughs> and yeah, and if that's the, the reality is, is they suddenly start to become like unproductivity tools, right? They start to actually make it really difficult. And so what people start doing is they start keeping their own content in their own drive or they don't want to use them because it causes issues. And so you're actually making it worse. You're just adding more noise to the field. But there is definitely, if you choose the right ones carefully, go through the right process, look at the roadmaps, and then start to align them to the customer journey, which is what we've been talking about, then that actually makes it a lot easier for you. Excellent. So um, you've had some great runs at ServiceNow and Snowflake. They've been huge successes as companies and they continue to be so. Any lessons learned from your time there? Yeah, I mean, a lot. So as I mentioned, they, they were both big, very well, they were both small organizations that grew very quickly. So ServiceNow, when I joined, had a thousand people globally. When I left, we were close to 15,000. Snowflake in the 2000s, when I left, close to 6,000. And they've gone on to continue to grow at those kind of levels, even in the economic climate. And so the, and then I've joined Mimecast, which is a new company, which is a much older company, more established company with economic climate, et cetera, not for the same level of growth. And so looking at those three, I say, I think, don't try and do too much. There is such a desire to move fast and move quickly and get everything. This, well, we'll get that put implemented this month and we'll get that done this month. And the reality is, is if you don't spend the time getting leadership buy-in, getting everyone aligned to what you're trying to do, make sure that you've got the right kind of metrics and reporting in place, what you end up doing is just you put a lot of effort into getting a lot of stuff out there with not a lot of results. And people just revert back to it. And that's very similar, you know, very much the case when you look at in sales organizations as well. If you don't spend the time to implement the things which are most critical, inevitably they don't work. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because even earlier we talked about sales being kind of this human to human interaction, right? And it's really about behaviors behind the scenes. But I'll come back to that in a second. If you, so we got these tools and then we have processes. So let's think about processes. Are there any process changes that you recommend organizations take back? take into account to be more effective and efficient? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's, it really means streamlining what we're asking people to do. Don't over make it over complex and look at the way that buyers are looking to buy today. We've gone from, look, you, we used to be sales process focused and it was, well, what do I need to do to get the deal closed? Then, you know, over the last 10 years, it's been, what's the buyer process? And we need to focus on that. But most of the time, all we're really doing is just, kind of taking what we want to do as an internal process and then flipping it over and saying, well, you know, what does the customer get from that? So we don't, we're not necessarily changing it. The new world, because of all what we've talked about, is that that customer is, is just different. Like there, there is a world I see that's coming very quickly where the, the silos between sales, SEs, professional services, customer service, the customer the partner, the community, all these different bits that you'd sort of think, well, they, you know, they, they work together and they should be handed over periods will be 
very similar content that they've all got access to. And it's just surfacing based on who they are and what point they're engaging within the cycle. That's a thing that we really need to look at as organizations. And the smart ones are already doing it. They are spending a lot of time focusing on how do I change the engagement with the customer when they have, they're in a different world today. Okay, so along those lines, so for example, the more successful organizations all believe in having some sort of sales methodology or process. And sometimes when organizations look at sales methodology, I know you don't, but let's face it, some organ, oh, you fill out this form or fill out these fields in your CRM. That's our process, if you will. And it's so much more than that. It's really about engagement with people, the questions that we ask, how we interact, how do you drive that behavioral change? So when we think about process, I mean, we're trying to get people, and you just talked about, it's not just salespeople, we're talking about pre-sales folks, marketing folks, customer success folks, to really change a little bit in how they behave with customers. Has to be about, again, this is one of those things that I think we've been talking in this space for the last 20 years, we've talked about it, and I think it's difficult to do. And so we talk about it, how do we do it? Some of the technology we just talked to enable us to do it, but it's how do you get that buy-in at a senior level to say that this is the way that we're going to do this? If it's a methodology, how are we going to implement this methodology? What is it that we're going to drive accountability to? And then how are we going to sort of measure it? And I find that if I'm looking at it purely from an enablement perspective, and I'm looking at trying to get something like this, a significant change within an organization, and by change, I mean an impact on results, is to work very closely with the leadership, to work with the CRO and say, okay, what are the things that you're trying to drive? What's the business outcomes you are trying to drive to? And align the methodology that we're using to that and focus on a few things to start with. Let's get one thing right and let's get buy-in all the way through the organization. So change management's critical, agreeing on what the thing is that we're going to drive. We might have a longer-term plan that's going to go over the next two, three, four quarters, whatever the timescale is. But we're saying this is the one thing that we believe is the thing that we want everyone to get good at and it's going to help us move the needle. And then we put the measures in place. We get everyone to agree on holding accountability and we track it and we report on it. Now, the one thing that maybe you agree, maybe you won't, Carlos, is that the one thing I do is I go where the path of least resistance is. So I choose the leaders. I choose the people that want the change that want to do this that want to embrace this and i focus on them and i make them champions and i drive it through the organization and then i use them as the successful use cases and we ultimately over a period of time leave the ones that either are stuck in their ways don't want to change leave them behind and then they have to make some choices about what what happens to them next in the organization <laughs> now i would agree and i'm smiling because it's not like i have the secret sauce but I think like product-led growth is an, it's an old-time concept, right? Hey, we create a, the bright, shiny object, customers come, we talk about it, and off we go. Hey, that simply alone does not work today, in my opinion. So when you think about getting alignment across the organization from marketing to sales to service, customer success, I think it's all about, hey, folks, if we put the customer and think about it as customer-led growth, then our decision to becomes easier. For example, even if you look at sales processes in Salesforce, they're all very internally focused most of the time. Instead of being, hey, 
Think about the customer making their buying decision, that customer journey that we started with, and what would this stage mean for them? And I try not to change it to customers because sales stages are kind of like religion. I'm not trying to convince them whether they need four of them or 57 of them. I'm just trying to get them to think about it. Hey, let's really think about, let's make a litmus test be, what does a customer really need to have happen in this thing? Then you can create your entry and exit points around that. And surprisingly, it starts leading you down this path. Yeah, like, you know, one stage I try to get them all to add and is, hey, value realization. So it's not whether we closed it or not. That is so short-sighted. It's about that the customer actually achieve a value. Because if you really think of it like a loop or, you know, like infinity loop, whatever you want to think of it as, hey, once they get value, they're willing to renew, they're willing to buy more, and they're willing to recommend. So when I think about a sales cycle or a methodology, I think about it all from a customer perspective. In fact, I even took our value selling framework and I even try to simplify it a little bit more for folks around six simple questions. Why are they doing anything? Why are they doing it now? Why are they doing it with us? Which you've all heard through the years. I just added three more. How are they justifying it, especially in today's economy? Who are all the people that need to get involved, including compliance and legal and everything else? And what's the timing to their value outcome? Because if you have that agreed to, then you can have a lot more predictability on whether a deal's coming in or not. And it's just, in a way, I got, you know, it's a small tweak, but you're right. It's hard because you got some people that are very set in their lanes, set in their ways of doing things, and they've had success in the past. So we're trying to get them to change their behavior, if you will. I like your idea. Let's start with the willing, show some success and see if we can create that to create momentum to champion those types of changes across the organization. So what's super interesting there, Vokas, is you, you picked up on something there, is that if you ask most organizations, most people, you ask the salesperson, what is their role? They say, well, to sell. And you say that you ask the customer success folks, and you say, well, what's your role? And they'll say, well, to make sure that they've realized the value and that make sure that they've, they've implemented and you know, it's been successful. And I think that paradigm has, that is what it's fundamentally shifted in today's world where you can buy consumption based, you can buy product led and the sale never ends effectively. And there's so much upsell opportunity because these products, especially in software business, always evolving. You've got salespeople that need to understand value realization and how to articulate that and, and, and agree it with a customer so that they can then it can carry through and that the supporting teams can help to realize that value. But it's also their job. A lot of the time, organizations are now saying, well, we're going to remunerate the salespeople, not just on the initial purchase, but also on the remuneration. And that's this new Snowflake did that very well. And it's a consumption-based model where you only recommend revenue based on when you actually use the units that you purchase. And then you've got on the flip side of that, you've got customer success. And you know, you typically say, what's your role? They say, well, to drive customer success. It's like, no, it's actually to sell because when you come into, when they get into this back end, you have to sell ideas. You have to sell concepts. You have to talk about additional resources that are going to be needed, maybe to support the growth. You have to come up with new ideas. Now, you may be dealing with the technical, more technical people, but you still need a subset of the skills that the salespeople do. So before where we used to train the salespeople and the SEs in the same thing, and there used to be a bit of contention around that. We're now seeing when we deliver a sales methodology, we actually do it across the entire go-to-market organization. I've been training more customer success folks the last few years than ever before. 
Now, but let's talk about customer success as a function because I, Charles, I really like to get your perspective. I see all sorts of variations from the traditional, hey, they're glorified tech support. They do no selling and they're stuck in the weeds dealing with issues. To the other end of the spectrum, they have a book of business. They have a net ARR target and they got to get customers to renew and expand to meet those targets. And then you got everything in between. What do you see working out there in your experience? I think it's, the, it's the, like the number one hot question at the moment. When you start to think about customer journey and you take it back to that, you need to start going, okay, well, firstly, how do I define customer success? And I think it's evolved so much over the last few years that everyone has a slightly different take on it. But to your point, you need to define, am I going to employ customer success people that are predominantly there to sell and drive revenue in that, in that way? Or am I going to define customer success as more technical and they'll define value in another way, but there needs to be some support from how do you kind of continue to upsell and versus implement? So I think defining that at the beginning, understanding what the success method measures are. I've now been involved with companies as well. Look, what was interesting at so far, we didn't have customer success. It was the salesperson's responsibility to drive to sell it and then to ensure the success of the implementation. And I'm seeing more and more organizations flip to that idea. The challenge you then have is self people need another set of skills, which they don't typically have off the bat as a typical salesperson. So I think defining what the metrics are, compensating them around those metrics. And so whether they are technical or sellers, to the point you made earlier, remunerating them around that. Because we know in salespeople, but across the board, you do what gets rewarded. And so having a package or a, a compensation range that supports the behaviors you're trying to drive in customer success is really important and not necessarily something that most customer success people traditionally think about doing. Yeah, one of the things, you know, in value selling, we try to do this mutual success plan, right? And it's really just documenting why the customer's doing the projects, what they're trying to do, their expected value, who's involved in the timing. And obviously it helps when I'm doing that and I get mutual agreement to drive that initial win. But what I've, since I'm trying to make this also more cross-functional, I think of a customer success as like, you know, a checks and balance. Hey, customers don't want to be handed off. So when we do get that win, you want that mutual success planned as your starting point. Because in many cases, the people that make a buying decision are not always the ones that implement. And sometimes their expectations get lost in translation. Then if you have a long implementation, things are constantly changing. So expectations could be changing. That mutual success plan and that customer success person could be the reminder of, here's why you chose this six months ago. Here's what we've done so far. And here's the impact. Because they will soon forget how bad things were six months ago. I couldn't agree more. And this is the new wave of technologies. You talked earlier on about like, so where are some of the, the technologies? And I talked about revenue operations and revenue enablement. Within there are subsets of technologies that are helping to drive customer collaboration. So, you know, we, we talked about in the early stages of the sale, we need to have a digital experience that helps somebody to guide them to make a decision, to talk to people, to make a decision to purchase. But with, as they're getting towards that purchase and then what does customer value realization look like, there are platforms emerging that embed that the idea of a customer success plan, which or a mutual success plan, which 
I know you guys have been doing for years. It was one of my favorite tools that we implemented to help drive value. They're taking that idea, taking that concept, automating it, and then making that platform completely transparent between the business, like the vendor, and the customer. And then building the project plans around that and actually managing the business from it. And it takes a lot to unlift the Komodo and, and do that, but that's where they're headed. Any tools you recommend so far? There's a couple that I would really look at. Buyer Assist is one that is really leading the way there. For anyone that doesn't know that, they're a company that used to have set up from a couple of guys that used to work for MindTickle, which were an LMS, but they saw a gap in the market and they're, they're really building this platform, which is buyer focused with a view that then the sales organizations are going to have to come in and work there. Nice. All right. I'm going to go check them out. All right. Let's jump on a little personal side to end this thing out. So I've said it multiple times, Charles, you've had an impressive career, especially even your experience around the globe is amazing. I think most people learn from mistakes or missteps. What might be one that you might be willing to share that you learned from in your own experience? There's probably a couple. <laughs> like I try to you know, very much look at myself and see what, when things don't go right, what did I do to solve them? And, and I think that was a, a lesson I learned early on in my consulting days. I realized that it wasn't the buyer's fault when I didn't win a deal. It was my fault. The reason they didn't buy was often because I'd misstepped. So I think that's an important one is don't go blaming the buyer or the people around you when things don't go your way in sales, because often there's something you could have done in that process to have changed the outcome, even if it's three or four steps back. So that's definitely one. Don't be too critical because it's super painful as well. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other one, I think is more in in a kind of current role and just current environment is don't say yes to everything. Don't do too much. Like there's so much coming at everybody, especially the field. Like, and so if you're, whether you're in sales or trying to get sales attention is just getting stuff out there isn't going to answer it. We, you need to figure out the way to be able to uncover what is the real issue that they're trying to solve. And often it's not the one that they tell you about. So how do you uncover the real issue? And then how do you put together a program that lasers in on that issue and can demonstrate a return for the level of effort you're expecting the sales organization, whoever it is to put in, because that's the way that you're going to get results when in all of this noise. Love it. All right. So as a revenue executive, I know there's people trying to prospect you and get to you. What might be your advice to our audience? What are you seeing that actually works and gets your attention? Yeah, and I'm probably not going to say anything new here, Carlos, to be honest, from what, what anyone else would say when they ask that question. But yeah, I mean, going from I mean, the whole reason why I moved into enablement was actually because I was doing very well in sales and I wanted to just kind of go on the other side and see some projects through the through the through a process. And I always planned to go back into sales. So I wanted to just you know, be a better salesperson and being on that side of the fence, I thought would help. And I, you know, here I am 12, 13 years later and, and haven't gone back. Not to say I still don't think about going into sales a lot of the time, but I've also had the opportunity to meet a lot of salespeople. Like, you know, in the companies I've worked at, in the roles I've had, you know, I reckon in Snowflake in my first six months, I probably met close on to a hundred vendors, technology vendors, because we were building out the technology stack. And I get hit up a lot to meet these people. And I would say, the number one thing is listen. Like, just listen to what people are saying. It's that you, you, 
what happens is I, I hear myself saying one thing and I get a completely response that is not related to what I, what I've actually asked or what I'm saying I want from the meeting. They're on their path and they're going. So I think, and part of that is preparation, right? So good preparation, come up with some questions, practice them. It won't always go your way, but then listen and ask questions. And then the second piece of that I would say is take time to understand a bit about my products and my services and my industry. You don't need to be an expert at the moment you walk through the door. I'm not expecting you to know all about every solution we do and what it solves, but I want to know that you understand my business to some degree and you understand the landscape I'm in and some of the challenges that people like me are going to face and some of the value that you've been able to give people like me. Okay, it doesn't need to be specific, but I want in that five minutes that you've got, and you've got five minutes before I start looking at my phone or checking my emails, if you can't get that or you can't have a, a bit of discovery and then get me, you've lost me. Excellent. Those are great insights in there. I couldn't agree more. It's funny because as, as you were talking through it, I think you know most of us have a really hard time listening because we're too busy thinking of our next question. Because like you said, we're not prepared. We didn't put you know, the time in ahead of time. So I think that was right on the money. All right, last question. We call it Acceleration Insights, but you've given us already so many. But what might be that one piece of advice you'd want to share with our listeners? It could be related to business. It just should be related to life. Spend some time thinking about you and person and developing yourself. Like look inward and it sounds a bit cheesy as I'm sitting there saying it, but I've had some defining moments in my life and those moments were where I took some time to actually go like, how do I improve? Like look in the mirror and say like, what are the things I need to do to get better, to get to the next level? It's not always comfortable, but it will, the more aware you can become of yourself, the more aware you can become of how to deal with certain situations, different people, it was a game changer for me at several moments in my life. So that's the number one thing I was saying is always be curious, always be learning and being critical is the wrong word, but be thinking about yourself and how you're engaging with, with the folks that you deal with. No, I think that's great. You know, there's a, that saying, uh, if you think you're good enough, you're probably right because you've kind of just, you're satisfied with the status quo. Now, again, it's not about always being the best, but you got to realize to be the best at anything takes a lot of time and effort and you got to put some of that critical thought into assess where you're at or else they'll just be mediocre like the rest of them. Hey, perfect. Giles, this has been a great podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. If someone wants to get a hold of you or learn more about the topics today, what might be your preferred method of how you'd want them to reach out to you? LinkedIn. Happy to speak to anyone if they want to reach out and uh, yeah, grab me on LinkedIn. Um, amazing. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you for taking the time and listening to our podcast. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec.com. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform. Tell your family, your friends. And if you listen to us on iTunes, subscribe and give us a five if you would. We'd greatly appreciate it. I'm Carlos Noche, and it has been a pleasure to be with Giles today. I always find it motivating and uh, love the experience. I wish everyone nothing but the best success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.